today on the very first episode of the Driving Improvement Podcast with Mark Russo. I'm so excited to have Jonathan Ross, an award-winning fitness coach, author of Abs Revealed, and creator of Funtensity, a revolutionary new way to combine brain science and exercise. He's spoken all over the world, sharing his passion for moving the body often and enjoying the journey. Jonathan has also been my fitness coach since 2016, having helped me discover how to live my best life as someone with two herniated discs and type 1 diabetes. Today we find out his motivation for helping others, why changing habits is so hard, and how a rubber chicken is making people smile more every day. It's the very first episode of the Driving Improvement Podcast with Mark Russo, right now. Well, welcome in, everybody. Uh, excited to do the first ever episode of the Driving Improvement Podcast, and I'm excited to have my friend and coach, Jonathan Ross, here to get us started. Jonathan, it's good to talk to you, man. Good to see you. Likewise, and I'm honored to be the first guest on your what is to be, I'm sure, an awesome podcast. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's uh, it's something we've been wanting to do for a while, and unfortunately, we're in a time where we've got a little bit more time uh, on our hands. For those of you who listening to this, maybe not uh, you know, right away, we're recording this during quarantine time, uh, in April of 2020. So it's, um, kind of a, a funky time, but we're trying to get the most out of it. Uh, so how have you been and, and how are you dealing with the quarantine and all this kind of difficult situation? Uh, well, you know, it's interesting that this is really a, an opportunity for everyone to kind of see what they're made of, so to speak. Not that this is the biggest challenge we've ever had to deal with as humans, because this is really lightweight yeah. stuff compared to some of the things that other generations have been through. But overall, it, it's a good reminder to choo choose to put some of our energies into what we can focus on rather than, uh, I mean, focus on what we can control rather than uh, really going nuts with the stuff that we can't control and wondering when blank is going to happen. And certainly we have to pay attention to what's going on, but staying within your own locus of control, your own sphere of influence, the things that you can handle and you can have an influence on and make better and make positive and just enjoy. I'm kind of one of those swim at the current people. I try and try to, you know, I'm 49. So life throws enough at you that you realize pretty quickly if you're paying attention that there's a lot of stuff going to happen to you in your life that you can't control and you have to adapt, adjust and keep moving forward as best you can. And so if you just, it's that things are frustrating, sure, but you have to do your best to find a way to create some space for enjoyment, for some uh, really peace and quiet, and just mental solitude, but also some stimulating physical activity and just still in, and have an ability to do the things that you enjoy somehow. Yeah, I think that that that's pretty key. You got to kind of roll with the punches to some degree. And how so how has this affected you? Just I'm asking everybody I talk to really, but how has it affected you in terms of, you know, your business and being able to to help people do what you love and and help people given, you know, we're social distancing and quarantining all that good stuff. Yeah, well, I guess a little bit of backdrop for anyone listening, they may or may not know me, but I'm really a 22-year fitness professional who who goes beyond the role of trainer, more of a like a wellness coach, I do a lot of brain health training as well. Really believe in um, integrating fitness into life as best we can so that it becomes something that we value, we actually seek, we enjoy enough, and it actually helps us enjoy the things that we love about life more effectively. And it all started with my parents being really heavy and overweight. I had a father who was 424 pounds when he died. So this it's really been sort of a shift into maintaining the ability to fully participate in your own life. And that's really what fitness is. And for me, it, it was pretty tough at first because 
I, I do a lot of training, of course, and teaching classes, yes, but I also do a lot of live coaching around the world of other fitness trainers, and everything has pretty much went to zero. So for about a week in March, uh, my income almost went to zero, except for one writing project that I have that's ongoing, writing articles for the American Council on Exercise. But uh, so I realized pretty quickly I had to adapt. So I've done some live workouts, maintaining uh, social distance, like in-person workouts for people in my neighborhood. That's a good source of revenue. I've done some streaming workouts for some athletes and for some of my clients and it's a limited number of people that have been working one-on-one -on -one. but i'm also actually already thinking about this being the catalyst for another pivot in my career i mean i went through so many changes started as just a trainer started teaching classes then got into writing public speaking and so there's been these little adaptations and my my true passion is really to bring some of what i teach and what i believe in to everyone on a big scale and so i spent a decade teaching the fitness industry how to be better at reaching everyday people people like my parents well now i'm thinking this is a good opportunity for me to spend some time working on doing a little bit of an adjustment of what i do and sort of going out to just the direct to the public to try to be that person because fitness is really a strange game to be in right now because it's often um i guess dominated by people who who have uh you know great ass and great abs but not really a lot of credential they have a lot of followers and so the currency of expertise in, at least in the realm of fitness and a few other areas now is kind of based on uh, people who may or may not have any real credential and it's it's kind of dangerous but it's also an opportunity for those of us that want to focus on making a real impact and having people that are drawn to something with more substance so that's kind of what i'm doing and it's a bit of a long answer but i'm actually thinking of uh really even just in the last week i was thinking about that we were going to be having this call I was like, you know, I'm really thinking about beginning to pivot away from fitness directly, where I'm just a fitness instructor and trainer. And then, of course, the public speaking has been in the fitness industry as well. So it's really all been fitness related. And I'm actually thinking about it might be time to just start doing some keynotes and motivational stuff and books. I don't know, just something that has to do with capturing my message and putting it into a package that I can deliver to the public directly. So. Yeah, I, I certainly uh, feel that, you know, I, this has been sort of a interesting time for me too, and has pushed me into doing something like this that I've been wanting to do for a while, but um, haven't had maybe the time and this has sort of been the motivator. Um, now, you mentioned in that early on, I know you, and we'll get into maybe some of your other, other stuff too, but, you know, I, I know you and you've spoken freely before about uh, your parents' struggles with their weight and health was was there a point there or was that really what was sort of the the impetus behind you getting into fitness as a as a career was that something that motivated you given their struggles was that really the big pushing off point for you yeah it was and it was in many ways very helpful to me because i didn't really know what i wanted to do with myself I graduated from college with a degree in astronomy, which, and this was well before Neil deGrasse Tyson made it cool to be an astronomer, by the way. So this was like <laughs> yeah. 1993. It wasn't cool yet to be an astronomer. And I realized pretty quickly that although it's like more like a hobby and interest, I didn't really have a desire to do that as a career, but I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was a little bit lost in trying to figure it out. So I graduated, I was 23 years old, double major in astronomy and physics. And I went, oh, okay, well, this isn't what I want to do professionally. So what do I do next? And a year later, my father died. And it was the beginning of the, the process. Once the dust settled from that, uh, I was an only child, which I guess in many ways being an only child growing up helped me prepare for this time as well. <laughs> but uh, hmm. that would, it really was a catalyst because I thought about becoming a fitness professional. And when I thought about that, it felt right like nothing else ever did. It felt like all the internal tumblers in my inner lock of what I wanted to do 
everything just went smooth and all like all the lights turned green, whatever analogy you want to say it uh, to, to represent it really, it, it felt like it, it just felt right. Like nothing did. I was beginning to get a little healthy for my own benefit, maybe a year or two before he died, but never dreamed it would lead to a professional choice. So in many ways, that opportunity, which I really see it as such, because I was 24, he was 56 and really not living life. He wasn't, he was, his, his world was shrinking. So what I mean is at 424 pounds, he was doing less. He felt like doing less. He was pretty miserable as a human being. He was really dragging me and my mother down just with his sort of whole, just way of being and his demeanor and his, his, uh, his, I guess, countenance or his just personality on a day-to-day, minute-by-minute basis. He could turn on the charm what he had to in public, but he was not a fun human being and he'd stop living his life. So he, I like to say he died really many years before he stopped living. Um, or sorry, he stopped living many years before he died. I said that backwards because he died at 56, but I saw the years before that were not fun years for him. And for me, it was an immediate wake-up call. Uh, anything like that, when you have any big tragedy, It'll, it'll squash you for a while, uh, but what happened for me is that I determined to live a different kind of life after that. Once the dust settled and I helped my mom sort everything out, I mean, I was a different human being. I was looking up words that didn't know in the dictionary when I was coming across them and reading. I'm just hungry for better, whatever better means. If it's better intellectually, if it's better physically, if it's better just because I, I was 24, realizing that you can end up like that. You actually can end up like my dad did. And I didn't want to do that myself, but I really, it, it immediately lit a spark for me to, to help other people sort of celebrate their best life, whatever that means. It doesn't mean everybody has to be, you know, at the top of the food chain as far as the, the most successful person, but just really making the most of your own life and giving you that ability to fully participate in your own life, which is really one way I define fitness. It, it was kind of like an immediate spark. Once I thought about that, it just felt right like nothing else did. And that really was the beginning of the journey. So, the, and that's, and that's really one of the big pieces of why I wanted to do this anyway, Jonathan, because, you know, I talk to my students every day and we're dealing with expectations and desires to get better and, you know, desire and willingness to do what it takes are sometimes two different things. But so we just put your coaches and coaches hat on for a second, you know, um, and you've been coaching me for four years now, but is there What's the main reason, um, because this directly relates, I think, to, to to golf and coaching on my side, I think maybe in any profession where you coach, but what's the reason so many people fail when they try to improve at fitness and health, or in my case, getting better at golf? What, what's, what are some of the things that just seem to overwhelm people? Well, there's really one main reason, and it might manifest itself in a myriad of different ways, but essentially it boils down to... Most people do not have a powerful emotional connection and drive to want to get better. And that's because fitness is, fitness is presented to us, health is presented to us as something that we can ignore for a while. Uh, we eat whatever we want when we're kids. We just go out and party as our teens or 20s, and then we kind of don't have to focus on it until we start getting a, a little overweight and out of shape into adulthood. And it becomes this, this compulsory thing. And it's, it's stripped of all the fun and meaning. And I think that's the number one reason. And I'm seeing it right now because, you know, whenever you're listening to this, you're, you're, I'm sure you can remember what the spring of 2020 was like in that everybody's ability to go out and do things and their routines were completely shut down. And so for many people, the structure of their life is really the scaffolding that's holding their behaviors together and that it's all this outside forces, these external influences of work and, and uh, the gym membership and, and sort of going places to do things at certain times 
and we fall into these boxes. And without a real strong emotional connection to those things, it, it's really easy to come, become, um, I guess, unmoored from them and we're no longer connected to them. And then you stop exercising because it always feels like an obligation. It feels like a chore. It feels like something on your to-do list. And, and we don't make time for things that we do that are not fun. We have to force ourselves to do them. And then when the, the outside schedule influences or the, making it easier to stay on stay on a routine and schedule are taken away, many people struggle to do it. So that's really the one factor I've seen over the years and over 20 years of doing this in fitness. When I get someone who has a powerful emotional connection to what they want to do, I know that they just need a little bit of help from me as far as what to do. And certainly I sometimes help tease that out. I actually ask people, you know, why do you want to do this? And I, I, I will often be, so if anyone listen to this, if you're trying to figure out what your emotional connection to fitness is, um, you know, pretend I'm sitting in front of you and I'm saying, well, why do you want to have more energy or why do you want to get in shape or whatever superficial answer most people give with fitness? And then you say, well, I don't, I don't know. I want to feel better and look better in my clothes. Okay. Why is that important to you? And I would say, and then you'd say, well, I just want to feel like people look at me and they think I'm healthy. Okay. Why is that important to you? I, I essentially keep asking why. I call it being usefully annoying because it's useful in that it gives you answers that are meaningful. And when someone really discovers their emotional motivators and why they want to do something, they'll find the ability to do it. And um, our esteemed host is a great example. So Mark, you have been someone that I've seen, despite the challenges of maintaining a career and family, you work out uh, at whatever hour of the night you can get it done at your home gym, which is for which for many people is exceedingly difficult to do because there's so many distractions at home, just the reality of life. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've always been very impressed with that. And so you're, you, you're someone who needed probably less coaching than others, because once you have that, in, that inner spark, that makes the coach's job easier. And I'm sure you've seen the same thing. When someone has a great desire to practice and to work on what you teach them, what you teach them gets easier because they are embracing it. And when there's a lack of embracing it, that's where I always see resistance with fitness. Yeah. And I think I, I, one of the points you made there was interesting, just like as you, you talked about sort of uh, playfully or being annoying, but you know, we talk about that and I, I think uh, a couple of coaches have called it and, and I really find it to be a very useful tool was coaching by asking questions, a Socratic method where you're, you're, you're okay, what did you do wrong there? Why did you do that? And, and let them sort of figure it out and, and give you the answers and, and empowers them to be able to make the changes or do what they need. But I'm also curious because we use this in golf. Um, we talk about people failing and how it can be a powerful force for good because it teaches them things. But I'm sort of curious in fitness because obviously we're dealing with the human body and obviously we don't want to fail too much when we've got, you know, a, de a bar over our shoulders and we're doing a squat or whatever, but can failure in fitness be as, uh, important as it is in other parts of life as a, as a learning opportunity, if you choose to use it that way. Yeah. Failure, I guess, is one of those words that it gets defined by the emotional connection we have to it. Failing feels like we failed to yeah. meet some standard and we have someone looking down upon us, giving us a bad grade or a bad score. Uh, in fact, we can get an F in school means failure. So that, that very early on, it has a really negative connection. But in reality, if you think about what happens with everything that we learn and everything we get good at, think of the alphabet. Like go back to grade school, you're learning the alphabet. And, you know, you, 
you're A, B, D, darn, I got it wrong. You know, you, you kind of fail to remember the alphabet until you practice it enough that you get good at it. Everything is like that. Every single thing in life is like that. Certain things are easier. Certain things are harder. And if something was really easy to master and there wasn't failure involved, uh, it wouldn't probably be that engaging for us to be able to work on for long enough to get good at it. It's fitness, golf, tennis, any sport where there's a, or activity where there's a high degree of skill, there has to be a lot of failure on the way to success. So you're really looking at making mistakes because you're new at something. And with time, with repetition and the appropriate desire and appropriate coaching, you're, lo you're looking to hopefully minimize mistakes and you, and you kind of get better and you, you have a lower frequency of mistakes. It's really no different than any other area of life, whether we're talking about math or learning shapes as a kid or the alphabet. But somehow as an adult, we expect that we're, especially with fitness, um, a lot of times people think they should just automatically be great at it and know how to do every exercise. And um, I'm sure with golf sometimes. Are, are you managing? Uh, sorry, are you are you managing? Is that a difficult part for you or something that you, you know, again, when you're doing some of your one on one coaching, especially managing expectations, because I find that with people to be super important because generally speaking, relative to their ability levels or their time uh, available, their expectations mm. sometimes are severely out of whack. Yeah, I'm sure you get some. But I did what you said for one week. How come I'm not a pro? You know, so, yeah, there's, there's, oh, yeah. there's some yeah, of that. Don't get me started. And I've, <laughs> I, I've, I've found over the years, it's gotten much easier to manage. Um, it's like anything else for me, uh, being a fitness professional, it was so hard at the beginning because I was new and I was in, seeing some of this struggle that people would have with, you know, it took me five years to get really out of shape, and now I want to be uh, back in shape in five days. And, of course, you can verbally tell them that that's not correct, but you have to – I've found, for me, the more non-fitness examples I use, the more powerful it is, where you sort of decide that, you know, I guess to, to use an example like I just did, you sort of decide to say that your career is going nowhere, you're in some – meaningless labor job and you just you haven't been to school in five years and you decide you want to go back to school to get a degree in something well you don't get a degree in a week you know it's sort of a it's a process of reversing the absence of learning to the point of having learned enough to, to develop a new skill which can then become a vocation same way with fitness you have this ability to make a u-turn at any point in the road of life which is fantastic is that our bodies keep adapting it's amazing it's awesome it means that at 40, 50, 60, 70, it doesn't matter when you decide to, you know, spin that car around and head in the other direction down the highway of life. When you're ready to, your body will change. However, if you've been one way for decades, that won't be overdone overnight. So you, yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge problem. And I empathize with people. The, the source of the problem is that people have, they kind of ignore fitness for so long. They kind of ignore, they just get by. They might not feel great, but they feel good enough to get through the day. And we get older, we start careers and houses and all that entails and children and pets and everything else we have to manage. So then it gets pushed to the side. And then we kind of get to the point where we get fed up and disgusted. We have enough. We bang our fist on the table and we say, now it's time I get in shape. So we have this, this rush of motivation. And so we want that enthusiasm to manifest itself to an equal degree as far as the success that we have. And it's good that we have that enthusiasm initially. But the fact that we've ignored our health for maybe 20 or 30 years uh, until that point, it also means that the body's going to be a little bit slower to change. That's why I focus on feeling better first rather than some of the external measures of exercise like weight loss or, or even changes in resting heart rate or whatever someone's looking to 
measure. It's really, do you feel better a week after starting something that, than you did? Can you feel the improvement? I don't really care where you are exactly all the time. It's that if I can show you that you're better and I can make you actually honor it and feel it and know it so that if your goal is weight loss, but you notice that the last time you played tag with your kid, you maybe didn't get as tired. That's a huge benefit because most people like to feel good when they play with their kids or grandkids. So you maybe you're not losing a lot of weight yet, but you're feeling something better. It helps you start to look at uh, different markers of success. So do you feel like, um, and, and uh, you know, I think everybody uh, as a coach maybe has preferences, but we also know that we're dealing with, you know, an infinite number of types of people, body types, you name it. What's your take just on slow and incremental work building up? Because that's one of the ways that I start with people is, you know, I might have them practice in a slow manner, half speed, small swings, work up. And I find that to be a very valuable way to, to work up to speed. Um, how do you feel about that approach, you know, dealing with people in a, in a coaching manner? You have my seal of approval on that 100%. I'm a big believer in, in anything you can slow down, you can then safely speed up. If you can do it well slowly, you can do it well quickly. But the, op the opposite is not always true. And the easiest way to yeah. think about it is look at a baby learning to walk. Those first few steps, that's not walking. That, that kind of stomping forward where there's this instinct in the brain to not fall. It keeps sticking a foot out to prevent falling, but it doesn't look anything like walking. So there's a fast movement that you see a baby doing. It almost looks like they're running where there's this instinct-based reflex to prevent a fall that has nothing to do with what walking looks like. So when you've actually learned an ability to slow that down, it becomes what we know as walking, which then you can, you can purposefully speed it up to running, and now it looks like it's under more control. Got it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we sort of talked a little bit in terms of sort of the one-on-one -on -one coaching, uh, but, you know, in recent, uh, you know, in the last, say, two years, especially I would notice more in the last year, you've sort of pivoted also into uh, creating a way to get people to have fun and move uh, and your, your movement for fun tensity. Uh, and, and I'm curious what drove you to sort of evolve into that and, and build that up to what it's become today. Cause now you're like, you're certifying uh, uh, coaches in it and you're doing lots of classes and clinics, the rubber chicken, uh, which I have one of in my gym. So kind of explain how you got to that and what Fontensity is all about too, because it's really okay. cool. All right. That's a, it's going to be a long-winded answer, but I'll be as brief as I can. Uh, no worries. Deep. So uh, the way that started was really accidental. I mean, I keep in mind, I got, a, I got started as a scientist. Training was very formal. I got started in fitness with some of that same thinking. Like as soon as I know how to exercise and what the muscles are and where the origins and insertions and the joints. And it was this very like, I got into the knowledge of fitness and I started working in fitness and pretty quickly realized that was getting me nowhere because people aren't really drawn to someone who's book smart, but can't really communicate well. So I got, I just was kind of a big wake up call for me and realized I needed to adjust in terms of my ability to deliver information. So that got better over the years, just from practicing and paying attention to how to communicate more effectively with people. But then what really happened was about 11 years ago, I got interested in the brain and keeping in mind my, my deep, deep origins of fitness is that uh, my parents weren't healthy. A lot of unhealthy people in my family didn't really want to end up that way myself. But more importantly, I want to help people just kind of turn that inner spark on inside of themselves so they can live their best life. And so knowing that I'm trying to reach everyday ordinary people, 
made me get really curious about the science of motivation. And so about 11 years ago, I started studying the brain and that looked, that led into everything from studying Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, but also the idea that we all make decisions as humans based on emotion, which was a really big pill for me to swallow. But part of learning is adjusting what you believe in that it's so much easier to be 20 because you have all the answers and then you, you kind of learn more and you understand that life is a series of gray areas. And that I started realizing, well, I might be a rational being in, in my head. I like to think I'm rational, but the reality is human beings make decisions based on emotion because they're our most powerful motivators. Understanding that really started to help me be comfortable with adopting a more playful, fun attitude with fitness and just be a little bit silly. And that silliness can easily turn into intensity because when people are having fun, they're lost in the fun and they don't notice the intensity. So that's where the term fun intensity came from is the idea that if I can get you having so much fun, if you're not the type who's drawn to exercise and that you're happy to crawl under a barbell and stare at yourself in a mirror while you're doing squats or shoulder presses or dumbbell presses or something, that's like 10 to five, maybe five to 10% of the population at the most loves that stuff. So the rest of them need something and people like to have fun. And when you're lost in fun, you, you'll, you'll play. So a kid will run around playing tag or playing some game and just, you, you can run around for hours playing a sport, but to actually go for a run for most people that are not already into it, it's a little bit of a weird idea. And mm -hmm. bringing that back into adult fitness was really the genesis of what I do now. And it's also heavily based in brain science and brain health. So there's this kind of merger of fun with intense fitness, and it all has an undercurrent of making our brains better. This brain health is a huge motivator for people now. So when you exercise really at all, you get better brain health, but you also greatly enhance brain is that the brain health response of exercise if you do certain things while exercising and that's where the reactivity the interactivity with a partner come into play uh, the friendly competition uh, come into play with things like intensity so i've done a lot of partner-based work which has really been a challenge now because we can't actually physically be in contact with people but i still put elements of reactivity into my workouts where i call out an even or odd number and people have to move right or left based on what they hear so they have to think and then move so that, that combination of using your brain, but not in a way that feels like an overload. You're not trying to solve uh, Pythagorean's theorem in your head while you're doing squats, that you're able to kind of feel this sense of fun and playfulness to it, but it's keeping your mind engaged. And that, that combination has been great to see what it does for people in terms of they get motivated. I've had people tell me they don't, they're just not a fitness class person and they take it and then all of a sudden they're into, they, they become a fitness class person because no fitness class has ever made them feel like that before. In that, yes, it's intense, but the big emotional effect is what I'm having. Uh, I try to achieve there with that big push of getting someone over that line of like, this is this is an emotionally awesome experience. I'm having so much fun. I want to repeat it. And so my way to summarize all this is to say you can't change your body in a single workout, but you can change your mind in that if you do a workout or you miss a workout, a single workout doesn't really matter. It's not going to affect you one way or the other for your body. But if you have a single workout experience that feels like so much fun and it was challenging, but it was challenging in a way that made you feel still feel successful, that is that is a, a terrifically emotionally engaging experience. It feels positive and makes you want to do it more. So you'll show up long enough to get the body benefits. So your body isn't going to change from one workout, but you can change your mind and how you think and feel about exercise. And that's really where I am now in my career because seeing that most of the population is never going to be drawn to fitness the way we traditionally teach it. Uh, there's a, 
there's nothing wrong with doing things in a non-traditional way because the body doesn't care. Cells of our body don't care. If we give it enough challenge, it'll change. Yeah, that that's uh, that's really cool. To, there's a lot of little pieces in there that kind of caught my attention. And I think there's some parallel there too. Again, I talked to students about, you know, look, don't view making a change, what we're trying to work on to improve you as this horrible thing where you're, you know, you're stuck you know, under the barbell, digging it out, <laughs> enjoy, find a way to enjoy it at the range. We'll, we'll diagram practice in some way to create uh, a more fun environment for you developing skill and make it. So when you leave the range, like you say, you walk out of there and you can say, okay, I feel good about what I just did. I enjoyed it and it didn't seem like hard work, but I feel like I made progress. And I think, you know, that's, that's, a really important piece to take away from it for sure. And, and it has to be rewarding for you too, to get people to come up and say, you know, man, I really enjoyed that. And it didn't feel like exercise. It just like when you're making a joyful impact on somebody's life that to me, and I, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to have a little bit of that mm -hmm. with what I do too, you know, and that's why I do this is it, it has to be rewarding to you. Oh, it, it is. And, and, you know, for your students directly, I mean, I'm sure if, if it was easy to hit a ball 300 yards on a driving range, then everybody would be doing it all the time and it wouldn't be a big deal. But if you employ some of the techniques that you teach them and they practice, 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 and all of a sudden they're hitting a 300 yard drive, they get excited, right? They get, so there's that excitement yeah. that you get from having put in the work and then finally achieving something. Things that come by us easily, we don't get excited when we achieve them. And there is that, that understanding that just comes with maturity and practice that uh, there's things that uh, if you, if you're, automatically good at something it probably wasn't that hard to begin with because nobody's naturally great at anything uh, even a even a the high level athletes golfers in any sport doesn't matter they still have to practice their tails off like you look at an olympic athlete oh they're naturally great athlete no they're not they might have natural aptitude but if it's not honed the amount of time that those people spend practicing their craft is absurd and that it always takes practice for any of us that have success with anything it never comes easy for any of us so we sometimes look at people and go, uh, oh, he's, he can eat whatever he wants and doesn't show it. Yeah, but his insides are probably getting clogged up. Like there's always a consequence somewhere. And for us as individuals with fitness, it's always important to just figure out, yeah, this is a struggle for me now, but that's because it's worthwhile. And changing is hard for a reason. Think of how absurd it would be if our bodies in, uh, could change almost overnight in fitness. In many ways, it'd be great because everywhere you go, everybody that would see you would know what you did the day before. So if you had a terrible day and you, you, you know, you kind of did pizza with an ice cream chaser and didn't work out, you, you would wake up and you would have ballooned and you'd look 400 pounds heavier and everybody would know. And then you'd have another day of good eating and a workout and you'd shrink back down again. So, but unfortunately we don't have that. So we change more slowly, which is a good thing because we don't change rapidly because that would be really weird, but we don't, also have that immediate need to focus on it. We can kind of put it off for long enough that it can get out of control very slowly. And that's where uh, one of my big core beliefs I try to teach everyone, and it applies to fitness, golf, life, and everything else is you, your body builds itself out of your habits. Or in your case, the, your golf game builds itself out of your habits. Your, the, the things that you do most often are the things that are going to be the kind of body you walk around in or the kind of golf game you have. It's the things that you practice the most often. So what you do most of the time, not on a single day, is going to have the biggest effect on the kind of body you walk around in. <clears throat> now, if you deal with somebody, and I think that this is 
this is sort of the art of coaching to some degree, but you know, when you deal with somebody who struggles, uh, and we talked about failure earlier, but uh, maybe getting just it's a little more into that. But if somebody comes to you and it's just, they seem like they just are down on it and they just can't get it, quotation marks around it, whatever it is. And as a coach, you can see they're at this sort of tipping point. How do you deal with that with people? And obviously it's individual, I know, but it, you know, how do you de- like to deal with that with people? It can get very tough. I've gotten very good at it, fortunately, but it's not to say I don't ever have challenges because, you know, dealing with humans is, is tough. And uh, as a professional working in the real world with real people, it's tough. You, if you watch a weight loss reality show, you know, the trainers either yelling or they're making someone cry. They kind of use two different approaches. But in the real world, you have to have a hundred different approaches in ter- terms of adjusting the dial and your personality and how you interact with people to match uh, what's going to make them feel most comfortable? What's going to kind of tease out their comfort level? So getting past those barriers where someone maybe goes to a certain point and then gets stuck, that's where being able to figure out how to how to turn the spark on inside of them, whatever that means, is super essential in that starting off with somewhat abstract goals, like I just want to lose weight, feel better, you know, have nice looking muscles, look good in my strapless dress. Uh, get in shape for the wedding. Those will get you so far. But unless we figure out that really powerful, deep ingrained thing that, that really matters to you, that so fitness will let you either do what you love more effectively or do it again if you haven't done it in a long time. And it'll let you do it with the people that you love. And those can be some of our most cherished experiences. So if you think about uh, so for, for someone who used to play a sport, I'm sure most people listening to this probably currently golf, but think about a great vacation you took where you did physical activity of some sort, whether it was hiking in the Grand Canyon or somewhere beautiful with the, the people you love in your life or friends. Those are some cherished, cherished memories. And having a body that works lets you do that. And if you don't have a body that works, you don't get to do those things. And so for many people, I have to really chip away at their inability to even know what those things are. And that's some of the hardest coaching I have to do is to get people to connect a sense of the everyday fitness, health, wellness behaviors, including sleep and drinking water and everything else that leads to a fully functioning, healthy body, how to connect it with the stuff that really matters to them because they often have a, they struggle to make those connections or sometimes don't even know what they are. So it gets into what do you really value most about life? Whatever you love about life, it gets better when you do it in a fit, capable body. But sometimes people haven't even really, um, they've been so busy living and checking off all the boxes of graduating, going to school, getting married, having kids, getting a house. They just, they haven't actually thought about what they value. And those are actually some of the harder things to get through. But boy, when you do, is it so gratifying? You've essentially helped someone come alive inside. And um, as hard as it is, the harder it is, the more gratifying it is when you help someone break through that. Yeah, I think that's it, it. When you can help somebody, you know, figure out the why, and sometimes you got to ask the questions, you know, why they want to take. I mean, I, I'll ask that with new students all the time, and it's, you know, why are you here? Why do you want to take lessons? And sometimes you got to kind of, like you said, chip away at it a little bit to help them get to it. They have this generalized view of it. You know, I want to get better. Well, but we got to go <laughs> a little deeper than that. Like, you know, like there's a little more to it than yeah. that. Uh, not as complex as the human body, but it's it's awful close some days. But I, I think understanding their why. Um, so earlier you used the word success. And I'm, I'm just curious, and this may be more 
you know, because you're very successful by, uh, by any definition, as far as I'm concerned at what you do, what's your definition of it, of success? And I'm talking about maybe for you specifically. Um, you know, it's hard for me to answer that. I, in, as soon as you asked me, I thought immediately about something I read in my 20s. This is after my dad's death when I was on this pursuit of personal growth, my last half of my 20s. Something I read, it's going to be a name most people will recognize, John Maxwell. He's done a lot of stuff on leadership and coaching, but I'd never heard of him before. And I bought one of his books that was available um, sometime in the mid to late 90s. might have been the 21 Laws of Leadership or something like that. And I just remember there was a a couple sentences in there that really stuck out that stuck out to me more than anything else in the book. And, and it, it's essentially that you're successful the minute you start engaging in the behaviors or moving towards the things that will make you successful ultimately. So that we don't, we think of success as the end, the result that I have this, I've done this now. And in reality, it's when you start to engage in behaviors that are moving you on the road to success that you are successful because the, the behaviors that it takes to sustain success with fitness or with golf are the same ones that it takes to begin to get fit and begin to learn to get good at golf. It's just a difference of degree and maybe you're practicing um, the, the specifics are different, but the fact that you're engaging in similar behaviors, you're, you're exercising, you're eating proper food, you're, you're hydrating yourself. You're getting good sleep. You're just you're doing enjoyable things in your life. Um, those things to me are successful. So I always put it in terms of you know having a very humble like lower middle class background. My parents were were heavy. They weren't in good shape. I just see the way we used to live, and even just understanding that at 49, my dad died when he was 56. It amazes me that I have that I am at an age where I'm seven years away from an age he, he, that he died from his health behaviors. I mean, we can all die at any time from accidents, but the idea that that the things I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis could, could actually end my life like that uh, at an early age are, are pretty harrowing, but also pretty motivating because hmm. it's, it's being able to do what I want. So for me, success is like, if you say to me, hey, let's go kick a soccer ball around. I haven't played soccer really since high school in any material way, but I can do it. I don't have to worry about my body. It's a form of freedom. So success is like a freedom that, 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 that ability to generate that feeling inside myself where I can just go do something physical and have a sense of freedom where I'm not worried about my body. To me, that feels as youthful as anything else could feel. It's that I can just go hop a fence and run and play with my friends that you had as a kid. That more than anything else probably means more to me than anything else in life because I saw what it's like to live with the absence of that in my parents and just how limiting it is and how it just, it just turns off the light inside of you like nothing I've seen. So my success is really centered around that. Uh, and, and I also want to be able to have an influence on others because I know, so now that I guess the more outward definition of success for me is, is to the ability to influence as many people as possible to not just avoid the bad outcome, like you're looking behind you in a horror movie, looking at the, the awful thing coming to get you, but you want to, well, what are you also going towards? So maybe the awful stuff you want to get away from gets you started in fitness, but you got to have something awesome that you're going towards. And for me, because of my experiences, I know I have a special gift and ability to reach people and to be able to motivate them to figure out whatever they love about life and how we connect it with fitness and help them get there. And the, the ability to do that on an increasingly large scale 
and reach more and more people is how I would define success. Well, I like that. I mean, I, I think it's, it's a bit of a moving target um, and probably not a bad thing. I don't know that you ever get there in quotation marks, but you keep sure. moving and hitting these little, these little jumping, these hurdles and getting to certain levels. But I, I think it's, it's obviously different for everybody. So I'm curious to, to ask that one. So, I'll interject quickly so, on that. Yeah. You, you just made me yeah. think of something I read once. It was, I can't remember the athlete's name, but it was an athlete I was reading an article about. And he said something like every, every success is simply the beginning of the next challenge. And mm -hmm. that's a little bit how I feel like it's, it's cool because cha challenge isn't a bad thing. Challenge isn't a negative. We feel like, Oh, just I'm never happy because every success feels like a new challenge. It's like, no challenges engage you. And if you, if you don't have something to challenge you, to engage you, to give you a focus to your energy, most people, when they retire and they just think they're going to sit under a, a coconut tree with a hammock and a drink with an umbrella in it, they usually die pretty soon afterwards because that's not what keeps us alive. We need something to struggle against, not in a negative way, but just to give us the sense that we're having an impact on the world. And that's what it really means to me is that every success is just the beginning of the next challenge and that it is a bit of a moving target because Every time, okay, I did that well, hmm, that makes me think, what else might be possible? If you don't do the first thing, you can't think about the 10th thing that might be possible. Before you know it, a few years down the road, you're doing things that you didn't think were possible, but you wouldn't have been able to do them unless you did the first thing. So it, anyone who, who has a solid, good definition of success, it will be a little bit malleable that will be able to uh, change based on the successes that you have. Yeah, that's uh, that's perfect. So uh, the other piece, too, is and I, I the reason this question kind of jumped into my mind and I, I wanted to ask this one around, too, is because I got asked this one myself on a podcast mm. with someone. And um, and I, it was an interesting second that it took me to come up with it. But in your career, was there a failure that had a big influence on you or somewhere along the way that taught you a lesson that made you essentially better uh, in the end, something that maybe sticks in your mind. I, I had one that it only took me a second to come up with, and it wasn't a huge one, but it was just one of those things where I had a student come to me and he wanted help with something. And at that point, you know, I had started my business a couple of years before and, you know, I was still a new coach, new teacher, still learning, and I didn't help him. And essentially what I said in the podcast uh, was, you know, it was essentially, he paid me for, it was like going to a restaurant and paying for a meal and not getting it. And it was, it really bothered me. And it drove me to find the answers for that particular issue. And is something that it still sticks in my mind at times. So I'm curious if that's something, you know, you've had that experience along the way. I have, and I already know what I'm going to say, but I'm a little curious about more about your story, just so even people listening can hear. So you say you didn't help him in that you didn't try or you just taught him what you thought would work, but you weren't paying attention to what might work best for him or kind of what was some of the details there? Yeah, I think, it, it, you know, for me, Jonathan, it was a situation where he had a particular issue in his swing that he was running into. And it's a particular issue that a, a lot of students have and is sometimes difficult to fix. And because of my relative inexperience at the time and, um, because I just couldn't get my priorities in my head and my preferences organized yet. And part of that comes with experience. My, pre my preferences and my uh, problem-solving method are a lot uh, more uh, succinct now than they were then. And so I really struggled to organize my brain around what I had to do to help him. And by the time I 
didn't help him. The hour was up and he was on his way. And I was left standing there like this guy's never coming back. Mm-hmm. So that, that was kind of what happened to me there. Okay. I was curious, mostly because of what you said about the restaurant analogy where you paid for a meal and it didn't come. So it's not like you didn't bring him any food at all. You just didn't maybe give him the, the food that he ordered or what he asked for. But you still made an effort. Yeah. And you just... He he just sent it back. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, mine was uh, actually I remember my first year of working in fitness. It was uh, it was very difficult, very difficult because I was twenty seven, um, no, twenty eight, and I I got into it for obviously very passionate reasons. I had a, had a high desire to help people to just sort of just give my soul to the world essentially. And I, I was in a club where they, it was a big health club. So, you know, a lot of times big health clubs, the, the quality of the trainers, they don't really, you know, do you have a pulse at a certification then you can work here. And they had a few people there that are, that are actually terrible trainers, um, really even questionable human beings, um, but just had charismatic personalities. And they would put someone down on the floor, let them have, have them start doing crunches and, you know, they walk away and say, hey, baby girl, what's going on? Go chat up some woman. And it just was really seeing that, but also seeing how many clients they had while I was working the floor, wiping down treadmills and struggling to get clients. Like I was doing a lot of new member appointments at the time and I was struggling to convert those people into clients. That was a really tough year for me because I knew I was doing what I should be doing, but I was just crushed by the amount of struggle I was having trying to do it. And so what I saw, what I took from that was that uh, if you if you want to help people, you have to communicate well. You have to be able to reach people. You have to be able to be charismatic and engaging, but also offer quality. Don't use that that for for evil by just being, you know, a charismatic personality with no substance. You want to combine those two so that I needed to get better at my communication skills and you want to call it sales or whatever, but it's really just connecting with people on an emotional level to figure out what really matters to them so I can help show them how fitness can help them get there. And also the second thing was beginning to reframe how I thought about fitness training in that it's it's really almost never been about, oh, train with me three days a week for three months and I'll get you in shape. As you and I know from our coaching, it very quickly becomes I'm going to go away and I'm going to show you what to do, teach you how to do it. Then you, if you don't go do it on your own, you're not going to have success. I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to be an adult babysitter. I'm not a gym teacher for grownups. That's not what I want to be. Um, there's people that do fine doing that, but I don't feel that's a very, it's a very high, high bar to set for yourself in terms of a fitness professional. And so for me, that was my big wake up call was that first year. I'll never forget how miserable it was. I was also tired because I was working full time in my office job while I was working part time in fitness in the evenings. And it was I was tired all the time, giving it everything I had. But what I had, I didn't have the right skill set. So it was me really just adjusting my my ability to communicate with people and just letting my personality come out because I was a little bit of a shy kid. And I'm not like that now. Most people don't think I am that way now when they meet me. But it's a process of learning and adapting and evolving and continually figuring out if this isn't working, try something different. And then that's what it was for me. That's so well, that's interesting. I, I, you know, I think probably everybody who's good at what they do has that story or that struggle part. Um, and you know, you talk about that first year, uh, you were doing it, you knew you were doing what you wanted to do, uh, as did I, you know, especially when I quit my job and started my business. And it was not easy, you know, besides the, the change and running your own business, but also the fact that, you know, hey, I, 
I'm doing this full time to try and feed my family now. Yeah. And it's a big change. Uh, so that's, that's kind of cool. So mm-hmm. right. You know, one question I have to actually going to the success part too, is are, are you a risk averse person or are you pretty conservative in how you, you do things or will you, will you take risks in your business or in life in general, or were you kind of like step and tread lightly? Um, I'm not risk averse at all. I'm also not foolhardy. I think there's a good balance between smart risk because without risk, life will never go anywhere. You, you'll never do anything that you're not already good at or comfortable with. On the other hand, I think humans going up to Mount Everest is insane. Um, so I think there, there has to be, you know, there, there has to be um, some sensibleness to it, like a happy middle ground where you can try new things and experiment. And really for, for me, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm always taking risks, not because I love risk, but because I'm trying to figure out how to do what I want to do more effectively. And so I started as a trainer and we know that didn't really go well. And I, so one of the things I did was I started teaching spinning classes, which I kind of like bike riding, but you know, it was, but I saw it as an immediate way to get in front of people that could become potential clients. So it was another way, but it challenged me. I wasn't a great instructor. I wasn't terrible. I learned what I needed to know to teach an effective, safe class, but beginning to develop the personality, that was a challenge. I wasn't comfortable. I was a little bit scared, but I was also willing to do it. And so what I've found over the years is that when you watch someone else doing something that you might call risky, if you consider that how, what's their emotional motivator for doing so? And you can look at it with fitness with anyone, but for me, it's always like, do I want this bad enough? Do I want to get to this thing bad enough? Um, like many people have the fear of public speaking. I love it. I learned to love it. Um, was never really terrified of it, but as a kid, you know, I had a little stuttering problem as a small child. It kind of went away when I was in my later years, but it uh, was, I was really shy. And just the idea of doing it for most people is terrifying, but I love it. Why? Because I'm more motivated to share a message with people than I am worried about how it might look or sound. Well, I'll do video work, camera work, writing. I don't care. I just want to share my message with as many people as possible. And every time I've done something new, like going from just training sessions to teaching spinning classes to then teaching group exercise to then writing an article for a local newspaper on health and fitness uh, to then you know, starting to do speaking. And it's, it's all been almost like a separate career all under the umbrella of fitness. It's really a new skill set. It's a new thing. You don't know if it's going to go well. Launching my Funtensity program a few years ago, uh, same thing. It's just like this, but it's where... It's where my experience, my desires, and my passions are pointing me. So I kind of have to honor it when I, I sort of feel that compass pointing in that direction. And that's what makes it less risky is that there's a bit of wisdom that goes into making the risk, that it's a calculated risk versus just a risk to be the bold idiot who goes jumping off of a cliff and hopes that there's no rocks underneath the water or something like that. So I'm kind of in the middle of that of, of those two extremes there. Uh, but I think it's an important balance the strike in life is you don't want to be risk averse, but you don't want to be foolhardy with risk taking either. Can you, can you reach your potential peak potential, whatever you want to say, if you are a risk averse person? It's a tough question. Depends on what your potential is and and what you see it as. I think some of that's determined by what your belief is. If you believe your potential is limited, it probably will be. So you probably could reach it because you have a belief in a potential that is smaller than what you actually could do. And um, so I think part of 
being willing to take risk is actually seeing a future in which you're doing things that you almost never thought possible because that gives you it's like the something to start to work towards um, anyway, anyway that's how i see it it's more of like an internal thing yeah. where if 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 i see my ultimate potential as being limited well people in my family are never blank i can't do this we're not smart we're not this we're not that then that i'm limiting myself so maybe i will reach my potential but i'm not actually setting a bar very high um so i'd i'd rather set it higher and go for it and you know probably maybe not get all the way there but you get high enough that it feels pretty good to be there so at this point in your career you know having done what you've done for so long where do you go now uh for improvement and you know what sources do you go to for better and new information i find that the people in my industry who are the top people the real top ones are constant learners and they're they're they just never feel totally on stable ground like they they want more answers to everything so where do you go to to learn more and get better at what mm, you do good question uh let me think about that for a moment because my i guess for me now a lot of times I go outside of my industry, not because you know, I don't have anything to learn from people in my industry because I still do. There are a number of people that I do learn a little bit from, but not enough to sort of bring up names because it's just little tidbits. Most things I learn now are outside my industry. I study a lot of brain health, neuroscience, psychology, because I feel like I'm just so fascinated with that aspect of the human experience. Um, you know, everything from just, just how we can be influenced by the littlest of things and you, know, you put nine people in a room and there's a 10th person who doesn't know the other nine people are in on it. And they put, they, they put the color green on the wall and ask everybody what color it is. The nine people say red and the other person goes, well, I guess it's red. You know, they just, that kind of stuff just fascinates me and, and just the science of motivation and how we can actually uh, create new associations in our brain. And I've, I've just seen it so many times with people that are, feeling negative and like they have a bad emotional connection with fitness because they were picked on, made fun of, weren't good at sports in school. They make it positive through having positive experiences. You rewire the belief system in someone's brain. That's kind of where I go. So a lot of neuroscience books, um, still in a bit in space. Um, so I'd recommend everybody check out Neil deGrasse Tyson stuff. I'm sure that's a name everybody knows, but if you're into space, but for me, really what I like <laughs> to learn is, um, I'm trying to think of a specific name and I can't, and, and there's probably too many, but, I really believe in, in studying the science of motivation. If you want me to give something that's actionable for anyone listening to this is really just look at what makes you tick and just feel uh, like you, you have an ability to change your brain. You can change the way your brain thinks and feels about things. And it's, it's, it's a, it's one of the things that people like to say that, Oh, people don't change. If they're a liar, they'll always be a liar. That's so not true, but you have to want to. Um, so I think studying just what makes us go, just our, just like what's between our ears is such a fascinating thing for me. Um, anything you can study in that area is kind of where I, I would, where I like to go now and what I would recommend other people do as well. So what's, what's next in the pipeline for you? I mean, we got intensity and you talked about speaking and your writing I and mean, what's, what's on the horizon for Jonathan Ross going forward here. That's a great question. I probably have to come back in a year or two or answer because I'm really at the beginning of finding a new horizon. I really feel this is a This is a time for me to begin to, you know, uh, I guess point my headlights in a slightly different direction than fitness more along the line of just helping people live better, taking the fantensity idea. Think of the idea I have there with fun plus intensity. It's an emotional experience. that's uplifting with a physical experience that brings you to a place of challenge. Putting those two things together in that it really is to me more of a lifestyle brand, if you want to call it that, where 
I'm walking down the street and I'm, and I'm, and I'm skipping instead of walking, or I'm tossing a stick around to myself, or I'm kicking a pebble around like a kid would, or I'm stepping on the cracks or trying not to step on the cracks or just looking to be playful in your environment. Just, just having that, that ability to kind of have a sense of curiosity. And I think one word that, that I keep coming back to is, is curiosity. Cause when I, I find fit people are more curious people. They just they kind of think about you feel how you feel after a workout or even after about a physical activity, if it's walking a dog or doing a little gardening or um, just playing with your kids on the ground or something, you just, you feel different. You feel better. You feel more expansive. You feel larger inside. It's like your insides feel bigger. You feel a greater sense of hope. You feel a greater sense of what is possible in life. And that's where communicating that to people is kind of where I'm going next. Because fitness is really one part of life. It's a big part because it carries around this beautiful brain that we have inside of us. And if the body's not working, we can't do much. But it's that relationship between the two and the integration of the two. That if I have a mind that is sharp and a body that functions well, and I'm able to stay curious about the world um, and learn things and just have a sense of wonder about learning things, I just find that to be something I want to communicate to people. What form that's going to take, I don't know, but that's kind of where I'm headed. So you use the word relationship, and I think it's kind of a good segue into sort of a a last main question before we wrap up. And that's, and it's just an important one for me, given this whole idea and project. But what, what is it that you love about coaching and helping people? Well, in in a very sort of I don't want to say selfish because it may not be the right word, but in a very selfish way, I get immediate feedback on my worth in the world. And I've always had a personality that's, I really feel like if I'm going to be here and I'm going to take up air and food and space, I have to make it worthwhile for the other people that I'm on this journey with. And that's a, that's a huge motivator to me is I constantly feel a need on some level to justify my existence, to make my, my interactions with other people having left them in a better place for having cross paths with me, whether it's for a one hour workout class once and I never see them again, or if it's one of one relationship or a friend or family member or a loved one, it's really about that. It's about having that interaction become something that, that elevates that person in some way. And that's what keeps me going really. It's, um, I have a hard time in a career where I, I don't see the immediate impact of what I do on the world. I'm hiding away in some cubicle, shuffling papers around, or just, I, I would probably die inside with that kind of career. Hmm. Perfect answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jonathan, how can, uh, how can people find you and find out more about what you're doing and, and all that you offer? Well, I got really two channels for that as one is kind of all to do with everything, fitness, wealth, illness, you know, did I say wealth? I meant fitness and health. Um, I'm not the wealth guy. Uh, you, you probably have someone else on that'll discuss that. <laughs> well, the, the good uh, fitness is wealth. Right. That's so um, they, people can find me through the internet at fontensity.com or through social media. I have um, Jonathan Ross Fit is kind of my all-encompassing everything. There's like 1% of what I put out is personal through those channels. It's mostly just health and wellness and just interesting, funny things that have to do with health and wellness and exercise stuff, of course. And then specific to my Funtensity program, it's just Funtensity. Um, so you, uh, there's two sh- social media channels. Again, Jonathan Ross Fit and then Funtensity. That's the way to find out more about what I'm doing there. You can see the rubber chicken in action. Um, I know you have one as well. And uh, just a, just a quick note too on how that came came about. I was traveling the world to teach some of the playful yep. ideas, um, the the playful idea with merging exercise and fun together. 
I came back to a place I had been the year before and I started using rubber chickens in some of the sessions I was doing. And I heard someone say as I walked by, oh, look, the rubber chicken guy is here again. And I went, ding, the light bulb went off in my head saying they don't remember my name, which I don't really care, but they remembered that because it was different enough. It was unique enough And that with Fontensity, I try to bring people serious fitness, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. So we have a little bit of fun with it, have some laughs, and you'd be amazed at how much more intense people will be in a workout without you having to ask them to be or to push them to be when they're lost in the fun of it. And um, so anyway, people can find me at Jonathan Ross Fit through social media or Fontensity through social media, one or the other or both, and then through the internet at Fontensity.com. It's F-U-N-T-E-N-S-I-T-Y.com. Perfect. That's so. That is why the, the how the rubber chicken is bringing more smiles uh, to everybody's faces, everybody. So, uh, Jonathan, always a pleasure. Uh, it's great to catch up with you, and and thank you again for all the the health and help and health support you've given me over the the last four or five years. Uh, I wish you nothing but the best of luck with everything. Uh, knowing you the way I know you, uh, it's only a matter of time before you find that success and hit the next level, and then you're just going to keep pushing. So. Thanks again for all you've done for me and for coming on with me today. I really appreciate it, man. Well, you're welcome. Uh, it was my honor to do so. And I'm really proud of you for knowing what you've overcome physically to get to where you are with your workouts. Uh, it makes me very impressed with you as an individual. And you're a great person to be leading other people to help them get better with some of your coaching as well. So keep on doing what you're doing. Thanks so much, Jonathan. We'll talk to you soon. You're welcome. There you have it, folks, the first episode of the Driving Improvement Podcast. I want to thank Jonathan Ross so much for coming on with me today. It's pretty clear when you listen to Jonathan, he's super passionate about helping others. He said something today that I wrote down here, and he said he wanted to turn the spark on for them. And I think every great coach, uh, every great motivator wants to turn the spark on for the person in front of them. They truly care. And it's pretty clear that Jonathan cares deeply about what he does and about giving people Uh, the opportunity to have more joy and live a healthier, longer life. So again, thank you so much for joining me on the Driving Improvement Podcast with Mark Russo. I hope you enjoyed it. I look forward to doing this again with you soon, and we'll see you on the lesson team.